So we are in a series called Clear Callings. The, the purpose of the series is this. We live in a time of tremendous confusion and distraction. And what that leads to is darkness. And I can only see the confusion and the distraction over our generation, over this culture right now, getting greater and greater. And so in the midst of that, God has these very clear callings for his people. That if we will give ourselves to those things that are very clear, we will shine very brightly in the darkness. Last week we did the first one, the first clear calling is the call to love. The call to love with his love, to, to love everybody, and to love at all times. This is his love for the human race. This is, it, it connects to our first value, which is come as you are. Come as you are. Why can we come as we are? Because God knows everything and he still loves us. He knows everything about us. And whatever you've done, whoever you've been, whatever you think you're hiding from, listen, nothing quenches God's love for you. God loves people. Everybody is welcome to come to him. And Christians give that message when we love others the way that God, Jesus loves us. This is our clear calling. Today's message is on the call to be saved. It goes with our second value, which is connect with God. The way we connect with God is by getting saved. We must be saved. The human race must be saved. So here we go. Point one is we were created to be saved. Huh? Revelation 13.8 says that Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It simply means this, is that God hasn't been surprised by anything that's happened on this planet. God knew before he created Adam and Eve that they were going to sin. He did not cause them to sin. He cannot cause anyone to sin. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. But his foreknowledge knew perfectly that if I create them in the way I'm creating them, they will sin. So our logic goes, if you know they're going to blow it, then why not just not create them? Well, the reason why we were created was because from the beginning, God was going to redeem us. He was going to pour out his love in redemption so that everybody that's been created was actually created to be saved. Perfection was never on God's table. The idea that we were going to be perfect, that, that was never on the table from the beginning. It was always for God, always about redemption. And so we have in the Bible one story. The entire story is about salvation. Look at, look at Luke chapter 24. Look at these verses, 44 and 45. He, speaking of Jesus, said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the law of Moses, that's the first five books, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You and I cannot understand the Old Testament without Jesus opening our minds. We can't read them, can't read it right unless he's opened our minds to see it the, the, the right way. Years ago, it was, it was right around Christmas, Anne was home from college, and we decided to go see, just me and Anne, to see the movie, um, Cloudy with Meatballs, cl mostly cloudy and partly meat, partly meatballs, something like that, <laughs> whatever that movie is. And, uh, and, and you had an option. You could see the movie in 3D. 
But to see the movie in 3D, you, ha- you had to get these special glasses. Cost more, and you had to have these special glasses. We're, we're like, we're doing 3D, absolutely. So we, you get these glasses, and you put them on, and oh my, everything comes alive, and you see not just the color, but the depth, and things coming out at you. It's just very, very cool. But every once in a while in the movie, I would take my glasses down to see what it looked like if you didn't have glasses. And you could still hear it, but you couldn't, there were things happening, but you didn't know really what was happening. You could not describe what was happening because you had to have these glasses to see. This is what you have to have on when you read the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. The whole law of Moses is about Jesus. All of the sacrifices that were required, that was all pointing to Jesus being the sacrifice. All of the the ceremonial things was about how we need to be set apart for Jesus. All of the, there's all these promises, and then there's these judgments, all these judgments and curses. Listen, every one of those judgments, every one of those curses points to the cross where Jesus took our judgment. He took the curse that was, was on the human race for us. Everything about everything in the Old Testament, all the promises, all the judgments, everything, you need to see it through this lens, Jesus. It's one story. The Old Testament prepares us for Jesus. Let me give you an example. Today's one-year Bible reading was Genesis 22. It's about Abraham, and God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, the promised son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain. So he goes to this mountain, and Isaac is a teenager. Abraham's very old, so Isaac carries the wood on his back up the mountain, and he says to his father, Father, where is the sacrifice? We're doing this burnt offering, but, and we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And here's what Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. And they get to the top, and Abraham says to Isaac, you need, you need to lay down on this wood, I need to tie you up on it. And he ties him up on this wood for, to be the burnt offering, and he takes out his knife, and he's just about to kill him, and an angel speaks and says, don't do it, don't touch him. And now I know that you fear God. And just then he hears a ba over on the side and there is a male lamb, a ram in the thicket. And he takes this, this male lamb, adult male lamb, and he sacrifices it. And you read that as a, as a Jew and you know what exactly is going on here. Once, once you're a Christian, once you've got the Jesus glasses on, it becomes very clear. This is a foreshadowing. Father Abraham is offering his son, his only son, whom he loves. So Isaac is a type of Christ. Abraham is a type of the father. And, but it's not just the only son that's a type. It's also the ram that's caught in the thicket that's actually the one sacrifice because Jesus is, is both the son of God and the lamb of God together. And it, it foreshadows salvation such, in such a beautiful, clear way. This is the gospel. The Old Testament prepares us for it. The gospels tell the story. They tell the story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. Then we have these letters in the book of Revelation that explain why he did it all and prepare us for the second coming of Jesus when our salvation is going to be complete when when our bodies are actually resurrected that's when salvation will be complete we were created to be saved that's point one here's point two we are called to share salvation with others first peter three fifteen. in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So how do we share our salvation? Turns out salvation's not just for you. It's for your neighbor, it's for your coworker, it's for people you like, people you don't like, it's for everybody. It's for the whole world. The whole world was created to be saved for this purpose of being saved. 
But, but sharing it, God has given that to his people. So here's how, you, here's how you share it. First, you share it with your life. Peter says, you need to honor Christ as holy in your heart. Christianity is not about appearances. It's not just about what you do outwardly. It has to start in here. If it's happening in your heart, it will come into your actions. But you have to honor him as holy in your heart. That simply means this. You need to live it first. You need to live Christianity. You need to bring every area of your life. You need, you need to bring your relationships to Christ. You need to bring your finances to Christ. You need to bring your sexuality to Christ. Everything needs to be about honoring Jesus with your life. When you do that, when you put Jesus first and you seek to honor him in every area of your life, here's what's going to happen you're going to cause people to wonder what's up with you. Why, why, why are you like this? Everybody else is gossiping, and you're always saying something gracious about people. Why, why don't you swear? Why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? Why are you so generous? Why, when, when, when you go through difficult things, do you respond this way when everybody else responds this other way? Who are you? What are you? What, what are, you're like from a different planet. What's going on with you? Peter says that. Peter says, when you live that way, people are going to ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. Hope is powerful. Hope, when everybody else is sinking around you, hope will always float. There's a movie called Hope Floats. Hope floats. Hope will always go to the top. No matter how bad your life is, we're created for eternity, folks. We're going to heaven when we die. Come on. Uh, however bad it might get down here, don't even worry about it because we're going to heaven. It's going to be amazing forever and ever and ever. Hope floats. People are going to ask a reason. So everybody wants to know, you know, how do you hear God? How do you know God is telling you to do something? How, if I'm supposed to speak to my neighbor, if I'm supposed to speak to my classmate, how do I know it's God telling me to speak to them? Let me tell, I'm going I'm to solve the problem for you. I'm going to solve it for you. I'm going to tell you where you know 100% sure, oh my, God just spoke to me. God told me to do it now. Here's how you know it's God. When somebody asks you. When somebody asks you what's different with you, trust me, that is God. In this world where we're hiding, where we keep everything shallow, where we keep everything, when somebody says, listen, What's going on with you? Guys, that is like heaven crying out to you saying, speak. It's time now to speak. I realize we all have different personalities. Some people, my oh my, I speak all the time. I have no problem speaking. But, but others, you're more introverted and you're not out there all the time. But listen, Peter doesn't say, if you're an extrovert, be ready to give a defense. He says, this is for, for all of us. We all need to be ready because if you're living it, you are going to be asked. And when they ask, you be ready. You be prayed up. You be, you be, we should be praying, God, make me bold. Make me bold to speak your name. Make me bold to not be ashamed of you. When people ask, I don't want to give them some lame reason why I'm different. I want to give them Jesus. I want to be ready to give them Jesus. So how do you... How do you make the defense of the gospel. Number one, your testimony. You and I need to be able to give our testimony briefly to people. We need to be able to do our whole testimony in five minutes. Here's what I was before Christ. Here's what Jesus did and how I came to know Christ. And here's how my life has changed. Why? Because this is real. It's impossible to argue with a testimony. And it's not about you sharing your life and so that they know you. No, it's about their life. It's about their journey with God. And they are in a process with God and they're asking you. And so your journey is going to help their journey. Your journey is going to connect to their journey. So you should be able to give the five-minute version. You should be able to give the hour version. Because some people, they want more. They want to know how did this happen? How did that? And if they're asking, boy, oh boy, tell them everything. Tell them everything. But please don't clean it up for them. But tell them everything. But make sure Jesus is the hero, not the devil, and not you. 
Work on writing your testimony concisely out so that you can give it. So my sister Katie just wrote her testimony out in a book. It's called She Speaks Stories. And it's, it's an amazing book. She tells the story of our whole family and every part of her journey, and she exposes everything. And she was here this last summer, and she, she told about her, her, the last season of her life, which was, was she had cancer. She was close to death, and, she, and, and it deepened her Christianity. It deepened her, her life in God. It, it exposed how her identity was in other things. And she just got really close to God. And, and God brought her through this and then said, I want the story. This story connects with so many other stories. I want you, I want you to tell it. So she, she wrote the testimony out in this book called She Speaks Stories. Well, the book is being launched next weekend. And so Sarah is preaching here. I'm going to be out there because here's how the book launch works. She has invited all of these people. You've got to understand something about my sister Katie. She just loves everybody. And her own, the darkness God brought her out of was so great that she's just got this tremendous faith that Jesus just wants to save everybody. And so she just makes friends with all kinds of people. And so she's got all of her neighborhood is coming to this book launch. And she's got her bridge club is all coming to the book launch. And she's got, she, she's a, a, a military wife. So she's done alpha with military for years. So she's got all these friends connected. And then she's got all her cancer friends that she's connected with. And they're all coming. So it's just this, it's this huge book launch. And so uh, because I play a role in the book, um, she wants to interview me as part of the, the book launch. And so I'm going to be out there. I'm going to tell a little of my connection to the story. And, uh, and it's funny because she's like, Tommy, I also want you to be the one to share the gospel. I'm, she's interviewing several people that are in the book, but she said, I want you to be the one in the gospel. So tell how I intersected we intersected together and then preached the gospel. And she said, you've got five minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Done. No problem. Um, but this morning, I'm not as limited. I want to tell you a little about how I connected with Katie and what my part was in Katie's spiritual journey. So <laughs> I get saved in college and I am just, I am all in for Jesus. I am this bulldozer in the china shop. I'm, I'm bull and dozer. It's just, it's just, I'm just, I was all party, all sports, all, and now I'm all Jesus. And um, my family all thought I was in a cult. And, but the closest person to me in the family was my sister Katie. I'm the middle boy, she's the middle girl. We would party together. We would stay up drinking coffee at Perkins after we had partied all night long. We'd share everything. And she dated one of my good friends. And that was weird because she's older than me. And whatever. Um, we, we just shared everything together. And during this time where Tommy joined what they thought was a cult, um, Katie was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. She was teaching English to military kids. And so everyone is writing, Katie, when you come home for Christmas, we need you to talk to Tommy. We've all tried to talk to him. He's not listening to any of us. So, so she comes home with this mission to straighten Tommy out. And so sure enough, one night we stay up all night long because she wants to hear the story. She wants to hear all of this. And and she says this. She says, Tommy, you know, I believe in Jesus too. I'm a Christian too. Uh, you know, why, why, do we, why do you have to? I said, Katie, listen. This, this isn't something I do on Sunday. This isn't a prayer I pray before bed. This is everything. I've devoted my life to following Jesus, I am no longer in the party scene. I am now in the Jesus scene. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. This is what it means to follow Christ. And it finally hits her. And she starts crying. She says, I, I've lost you. 
you don't, you're not who you were. And she goes back to Guantanamo Bay and she had started, she had gone on a few dates with this guy who eventually becomes her husband. And it turns out his dad is a pastor. And she says, she lays the whole thing out to him. She says, like, the family thinks that he's in a cult, and here's the conversation I had, and here's what he said about Jesus. And she's like, what do you think? And he's like, Katie, Tommy just became a That's what Christianity is. That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean that you go to church on Sunday. It means that you give your life to him. And all of a sudden, the lights came on for her. And that Valentine's Day, I received this long, long letter from my sister Katie telling me that she had given her life to Christ and that everything was new and changed. And so it was, it's just funny to me because my role in her Christianity was her, my part was to convince her that she wasn't a Christian. That's the part I played. You can call you, just because you call yourself a Christian does not mean you're a Christian, folks. John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, just because you say you're children of Abraham doesn't make it so. It has to be real. And so um, this is, this is my, my last point. So we, we share by giving our testimony. And then secondly, we share by being able to preach the gospel, to give the gospel, to explain the gospel in a way that someone can make a response to God that will save them. Most people, their spirituality is tremendously confusing. They, they've got some things they believe because of a movie they saw. They some, some things because of something that happened to them when they were young. Some, some of what's in their mind is because they saw Billy Graham once. So one, most of what's in their, well, some of what's in their mind is because Oprah said this, and she had a guest on that said this. And, and, and then there's what their dad thought, and their, their mom thought, and, their, and then what they saw at church. And so it's just this goobly, gobbly, confused, if, if they wanted to follow God, they wouldn't have a clue as to exactly what would I do to follow Jesus. What what does it even mean to follow Jesus? How would I go about following Jesus? And so when we make a defense of the gospel, we need to be able to share clearly what the gospel is in a way that when we are done sharing, they could make a response to God that would save them. And God wants this not just for pastors, but he wants every single one of his children to be able to share one-on-one -on -one how you get saved. Now, this is the only way we'll multiply, folks. <laughs> if the only way people get saved is by coming to church and hearing me preach and have a show of hands, we can only add a few people here and there. What God wants to do is equip every single one of us. We are his, not just his family, thank God we're his family, we are an army. And an army needs to be trained and equipped. So this morning, isn't this fun, we're going to do a little schoolwork. And so I, what I want you to do is take your bulletin and turn it over. There's a blank page there. Or get out a sheet of paper, then get a pen out of a woman's purse, um, or they've, they're also on the pews, there's little pens attached, and I want you, I want to teach you an illustration that I use, and I want you to write it while I'm doing it. I also have the, the full bridge uh, available for you at all of the giving tables. You could pick up the final copy if, if you're not sure you got it all, but I want you to write it out the way you would write it out for somebody that has asked you, how do I get right with God? How, how, does a, how does the Bible say a person gets right with God? Now, it turns out that before I can teach you this illustration, um, I have to tell you the two 
diagnostic questions. Uh, 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 diagnosis means that you don't just go to the doctor and they start operating. They diagnose you first. They make sure where you are so that they know exactly the treatment to give you. So it turns out there are these two questions. They're very simple once you learn them that will help you to diagnose whether someone is saved or not. Okay. Here are the two questions. Question number one, are you at the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you died, you would go to heaven? That's question one. This, this, it's so critical that we understand that people's spiritual life does not start when you witness to them. God loves everybody. He's been working in their life. They are not in a vacuum. They are, in, they are on a journey, just like you're on a journey. And so the question is, is what point? This affirms them. This affirms you are spiritual. You have some type of journey with God. Where are you? Have you arrived at a place where you are certain that if you died, you would go to heaven? Now, how do, you, how do you diagnose? Well, if they say, no, I don't know, well, then you know they're not saved. They don't know the gospel. Some people will shock you. They'll say, nope, I'd go to hell. I mean, they're just right out there. Oh, okay. Whoa. Um, some people, most people will say, maybe. I might. I'm like, okay. And I love to have fun with this one. One to 100%, how sure do you think you are? And I, lo I love to see people get in their minds. They're thinking about their life. They're thinking about how much they sinned, how good they are. They're like, mm, 70%. You know, where, where do these numbers come from? And, and so then I'll say, I'll just ask them because I want them to talk. I want them to, most people don't ever think about their spiritual life because no one ever asks them. So this is, for some people, it's the first time they've even thought about it. And then, and, and, and then I'll, I'll say, so what do you think it's like? Do you think it's like a scale? Like, like, like if you're 70% good, you're going, and, and if you're 30% bad, you're going. How, how do you, what do you think the cutoff is? How, how does that work? And, there, and I, just like to, I just like to hear what people say about it. Um, but if they say maybe, they don't know the gospel. The gospel gives certainty. They don't know the gospel if they said Maybe. And then there's this third category of people that say yes. Now, just because people say yes does not mean they're saved. <laughs> does not mean they know the gospel. It's amazing how presumptuous people are. I, certainly, I would have said any time growing up, are you going to heaven? I would have gone, yeah, of course. Um, that's why we need the second question. Here's the second question. If you died today and you're standing before God and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? And if their answer starts with, because I'm so loving or because I've kept the Ten Commandments or because I go to church all the time or because I give money, or because, you know they're not saved. You know immediately they are not saved. They don't know the gospel. They do not know what the gospel is. Anything that's, that's about themselves, it's not. Uh, I, I remember the first time I asked my mom, and she's like, God will be lucky to have me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> mom. Let's start, let's start with this, mom. God doesn't get lucky. God, God doesn't deal with luck. Now, praise God, my mom got saved and she's in heaven now. And praise God for that. But um, that's where it started. Um, <laughs> so... Once you've diagnosed that they are not saved, now we need to make the transition to this, this illustration that I'm going to share with you. And here's how I transition. And because this is true about me, maybe it's not true about you, but it was certainly true about me. I say this, you know what? I used to believe something very similar to what you just said, but it's interesting. The Bible says something very different than what you just said. Would you give me 15 minutes? I've got an illustration that I can show you. It'll take about 15 minutes that shows how the Bible says somebody can be certain they will go to, be, go to heaven when they die. Now, most people will say yes. It turns out lots of people 
are interested in the Bible. They have no idea what it says, but they've heard about it their whole life, and, and everybody's interested in going to heaven. If there's a way to know you're going to heaven, are you kidding me? Show me how I can know. Sometimes people will say no, and oftentimes it's not because they don't want to know. It's because they don't have 15 minutes right now. They've got to be here. They've got to be there. And what I'll say to those people, I, I don't get discouraged. I just say, um, hey, the offer will stand. If, if you ever want to know for certain what, how the Bible says somebody gets to heaven, because there's a way to be certain, uh, let me know, and, and I'd be happy to share that with you. When somebody says yes, um, I will pull out a sheet of paper or turn over a placemat or uh, however. This is why I love this illustration. It's so much better than a tract. A tract is so impersonal and they glance through it in two minutes and don't take any time with it. This, you write it out for them and give it to them when you are done. It is personally made for them. So let's get to the illustration. Um, starts on top. And it's got, you just make that line and you put man on one side and God on the other side. Without the, S isn't there yet. We were created, man, man stands for mankind. You might want to write mankind in our current, you might want to just say people, whatever. I don't know how you'd please our culture, but you don't put man if you want to please our culture. Anyway, um, God created us in his image. Everything else that is created glorifies God. The stars glorify God. The animals glorify God. The, the moon glorifies God. Trees glorify God. But all of them are pre-programmed to glorify God. They just do what they are, and they glorify God by being what God made them to be. But we are in his image, which means we can receive or reject his love. The ultimate reason why God made us was for no need in himself. God is love. God is joy in himself, in the Trinity. They're perfect love, perfect joy. He create, loves nature. The nature of love is to share itself. And God created us because he wants to share his love. And, uh, but to, for that to happen, we had to be able to say no to his love. And that is exactly what the human race did, is we said no to God's love. And that's what sin is. And so sin separates us from God's presence. And here is where you write Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. You just write the thing and then you tell them what the verse says. God says, my hand is not short that I couldn't save you. And my ear is not deaf that I couldn't hear you. But your sins have separated you from your God. And while you're saying that, you're making the two sides. There are two sides that go like this. There's a chasm in the middle. This is what sin has created. And there's a chasm. One is man's side and one is God's side. Okay? And then you say there are three things that every human being needs to know about man's sin. Number one, all have sinned. You write that sentence, all have sinned. And then underneath, you just put Romans 3.23 and you quote it to him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a confusing thing about sin. Because sin looks different on different people. Some people, you know they're sinning. They're lying. They're cheating. They're stealing. And everybody would say, yeah, that's certainly bad. That's evil. But other people, they go to church. They wear three-piece suits. And they look very moral outwardly. But the Bible says that they have sinned too. In what way have they sinned? Well, the center of sin. And I like to go back up to the first thing and just underline the I that's in the middle of sin. Just that I... The center of all sin is I. It's me in charge of my own life. Me doing my own thing, whether I'm doing it what looks bad to others or good to others. It's me running my own life. That is the center of sin. And the Bible says all have sinned. Sentence two, all deserve death. And for this one, you put underneath Romans 6.23. And it says this, the wages of sin is death. If you and I got what we deserved for our sins, that's wages, we would all die. And when the Bible says die, it's more serious than physical death. It is separation from God. God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. Well, they didn't die 
physically that day, but they died spiritually that day. They were separated from God. And if you and I die in our sins, we will be separated from God for all eternity. The third thing is judgment. You just write the word judgment, and underneath you write Hebrews 9.27. You quote it. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. This is the most important day in every single human being's life, is the day they stand before God and give an account for their life. There is no second chances. There's no reincarnation. There's no karma that you build up and come back as something else. We are so used to second chances. We just assume we'll be okay. We'll get another chance. We'll get another chance. Nope. Once the judgment comes, no more chances. So this puts the human race in a very bad place with God. So human beings try to get back to God. And so the way they try to get back to God, and here's our, our illustration, is not how I do it. I do, I do three little cubes that come out at different lengths, and one of the cubes is called good works. This way it works like this. People are trying to get back to God by good works. Here's what they're saying to themselves. If I do enough good, it will outweigh my bad. And that maybe that's how God judges things, that if there's more good than bad, that's actually all of Islam. That's how Islam works. If you've if you're, you got the scale, here's the good, here's the bad, and depending on which way it goes, that's which way you go. Um, good works. Second one is religion. Um, the problem with this is uh, every religion says something different. This is the religions of men. And the way it works is a certain religion will say, if you follow all of our rules, you, you kiss our statues, you knock on doors enough, you get enough karma, every religion says something different. But if you follow our rules, give enough money, do this, do that, we will guarantee you, you will be okay. The third one is morality. This one says, um, as long as I'm a good person in my heart, I will be fine. And we have a new word for morality today, you probably learned this, called sincerity. As long as I'm sincere to whatever I think is right and wrong, th then I will make it. So I just need to be loyal to myself. And I, I struggle with that because... Hitler was very sincere when he thought the Aryan race was superior and wiping out all the Jews and all the handicapped people. Uh, the idea that sincerity equals morality does not work in any, in any form. Anyway, um, point is this. You've got these three reaching out, good works, religion, morality. They're at different, they come out differently. And I like to point out two things. One, all of these are a long way from God. God, God is holier than we think. And man is more sinful than we think. You'll never get to God by your good works or by your religion or by your morality. The second thing I like to point out is that some people are farther than others. This is where we get this false sense that I'm okay. Because I may not be great, but I'm better than Joe. I may, I'm, I may, I, maybe I'm not perfect, but I know that person's a Christian. And trust me, if they're going to heaven... I'm going to heaven because I'm way better than they are. Guys, God doesn't do it that way. God doesn't look at you compared to other people and, hmm, how's he measuring up? No, God only compares us to his own holiness. This is why we fall so far short. You're, you're way worse than you think you are. The Bible says that even our good deeds are as filthy rags in his sight. Trust me, you don't want to go on your own works. So the answer for salvation is not on man's side. This is why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man boast. And what I like to do is write in quotes, not by works. And then I write Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 underneath it. There's nothing man can do to save himself. The answer for salvation has to be provided by God's side. So we move over to God's side. On top of God's side, you write on top, John 5, 24. Jesus says these words, whoever hears my message and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment. He has passed from death into life. And so what you do under John 5, 24, you write here and believes 
Whoever hears and believes my message, and then you do one, eternal life. This is a really important message to hear and believe. Because instead of getting the death you deserve, you get eternal life. And two, you write no judgment. Instead of being judged for your sins, there is no judgment for your sins. This is a really important message. And then I'll turn it back to them. What do you think the message is? So what do you think the message is? That if we hear and believe it, we will have eternal life and there will be no judgment for our sins. And just let them talk. Some people will say, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Other people take a shot at it. Love one another. We're supposed to love people. Some people will be like, oh, I know. He wants us to keep the Ten Commandments. Go to church more. And then once in a while, people will say, is this the thing about Jesus dying for our sins? Boom, that's it. But I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want anybody to feel stupid like, gotcha. So I'll just say, if they can't come up with the answer, I'll say, listen, you already know the answer. You've heard it a thousand times, but I want you to hear it maybe in a different way than you've ever heard it. And then I will draw the cross out over the top and I will write Jesus Christ in the middle bar. And here's what I'll say. Sin separated us from God's presence. But sin never separated us from his love. God never stopped loving the human race. From the very beginning, he had a plan to come where he would die in our place. This is why Jesus had to become a human being. The wages of sin was death for the human race. Only a human being could pay those wages. He had to be God because he had to be perfect. And I'll always say this, because people are confused about Jesus. I'll say, listen, Jesus did not come into the world to teach, even though he was the greatest teacher of all time, and everybody quotes Jesus today. He did not come into the world to be a good example, even though he's the greatest example of love of all time. Jesus came into the world to die for you, and for me, and then I will do these two verses. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins. The righteous, him, for the unrighteous, us. In order to bring us to God. The second one, Isaiah 53.6. We like sheep have all gone astray, each to our own way. That's the definition of sin. And the, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Jesus took your place. He took your sin. He took your punishment for sin on the cross. And then oftentimes people will say at this point, oh, that's what we believe. Yep. Believe that. Got it. Yeah. Heard that. Yep. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes. That's what we believe. This is when I will circle the word believe. Once you say that it's really important that when God says believe and when you say believe, that it means the same thing. Isn't that really important? Here's what the Bible doesn't mean when it says believe. It does not mean give mental assent to the facts. The Bible says the demons believe and shudder. It, this is not just agreeing with the facts. When the Bible says believe, it means three things. And this is, this is the end of the illustration. And so you go up above between the, where the line is and, and above where the cross is, and you write number one. When the Bible, by, to believe biblically, means three things. First one, you write down John 1, verse 12. The Bible says he came to his own, his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, to be saved, and I write it right out for him, I must receive Christ. At the end of the day, Christianity is not following a set of rules and it's not believing a set of doctrines. To be saved, I must receive a person. Number two, I'll write it out, Revelation 3.20. The Bible says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To be saved, secondly, I must open my heart. Turns out that what God still seeks for the human race is love. 
But sin has affected us way more than we think it has. And we can't just randomly choose God at any time. God actually has to come and knock first. Jesus has to come and knock for you to even know that there's an offer on the table. How does he knock? Oh my, he knocks through beauty. He knocks through sin that you can't overcome. He knocks through addiction. He knocks through trials. He knocks through blessings. He's knocking all the time and he's saying this, I am alive and you need a savior and I'm here and I love you and I want you and he's knocking. He knocks in a number of different ways. But you opening the door and him knocking are two different things. Just because you've had a spiritual experience in your past does not mean you're saved. Just because you felt God's presence does not mean you're saved. That doesn't mean you opened the door. That means he knocked. And sometimes he knocks really hard. But you, you and I must open. He will not push your door down. He will not force this. That's not love. He knocks. He gets our attention, but you and I have to open the door. And that leads to number three. You know, in this one, you put down Romans 10, 9 and 10. If I confess Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. To be saved, I must confess Jesus as my Lord. This is the hardest one for Americans. Americans want to be forgiven and they want to go to heaven. Here's what they don't want. Somebody telling them what to do. To be saved, I have to repent of being my own Lord. I have to turn my life over to new management. <laughs> Jesus can only come in as Savior and Lord. That's the real Jesus. So what does it mean to, have Jesus, to confess Jesus as Lord? It simply means this. I give up every area of my life and say, God, you are welcome to change me in any way you want to change me. There's no part. Guys, in God's, in God's economy, you can't change yourself. <laughs> Only he can change you. But you need to let him change whatever part he wants to. And he will come and he'll, he'll do one area at a time and he'll show you why it's wrong and you'll feel bad about it and you'll confess that it's bad and then he'll invite you into this process where you do his way instead of your way. That is repentance. Repentance is turning from you being in charge of your life to Jesus being in charge of your life. That's part of believing in Jesus. I must accept him by opening my heart and letting him come in as both Savior and Lord. So, there are three people in the world. One person is saying, bah, and is going away from God. I always draw that stick figure first. Bah, stop, please stop talking to me. And listen, friends, if people want to stop talking about this, don't, don't trap them. Don't trap them and wish that they had never met you. It's like, maybe I don't want to hear the whole illustration, and you just are just, you're in, and you've got them, and they're trying to be nice to get away from you. If you sense that they're out of this, just ask them, are you done? No problem. We'll talk later. And, and Jesus, have you noticed that Jesus doesn't force himself on people? So we should not force Jesus on anybody. We shouldn't trap anybody for Jesus. <laughs> doesn't work. I've tried it. <laughs> Trust me. Um, <laughs> The second person I'll draw is the person on the other side. This is the person in the little bubble I'll write glory. This person, they're just a regular person, but they've taken their trust out of their good works, out of their religion, and out of their morality. They put their trust completely in what Jesus did on the cross, and they know they're going to heaven, not because they're good, but because Jesus was good. And because what Jesus did was enough. They have, ex they have opened their heart, they've accepted Christ, and they're honestly confessing him as Lord. They are not perfect by any means, but they're in this process where God is changing them. And then there is this third person. I'll make him at the, I'll, I'll put him in the middle there and then put a little door in front of him and say this person wants to be over in the glory side, but they, they're not sure right now but they're, they're not saying no to God, and they're at the door. And so with that, if we could have the worship team come, and if everybody would mind bowing your head and closing your eyes for a moment. You know, maybe as I have been going through this, you realize that you are the one at the door. And today, you want to open your 
door. You want to be saved and saved in a way that you know that you are saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that is you, would you just slip your hand up right now? High enough and long enough for me to see it all over this place. I see that hand and that hand. That hand, God bless you, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. And up in the balcony, I see that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand. God bless you. God bless you. And then, if you could put those hands down, is there anybody else that you got? Jesus is knocking right now. We're going to have a prayer together real soon that you can be part of. Um, but I want you to identify yourself before God and demons and everybody else. Say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm that person. By upraised hand, go ahead. Yep, I got you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, and then everybody can look up at me again. So how do you go from that side to that side? Man, it'll, it's gonna be, it would take 10 years for me to get from there to there. How unholy I am. No, no, that's not how it works. Romans 3.23, here's the end of the verse. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift is something that someone buys for you because they love you. Something that it's their love that inspires them. They want to give this to you for free. Well, God has a gift for you. It was very costly. It cost him a son. He couldn't give it to you without... His son dying for you on the cross. But it comes to you and I for free. How do you get a gift? You just say thank you. You receive it. You open it up and you start using it. And that is how gifts work. And so today we get saved in a moment by just saying thank you and receiving what Jesus has done. So if you wouldn't mind, If you raised your hand, would you just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And God, thank you that you have been knocking on my heart, that you knocked this morning on my heart. Lord, I want to settle this thing right now. I am opening my heart. I want to tell you right now, I'm opening my heart. Jesus, come in and save me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Make every change you want to make in me. I give my life to you as you gave your life for me. I receive right now by faith forgiveness of sins and this wonderful gift of eternal life. Now I want to pray for all those that, that, that put their hand on their heart just now. Lord, would you bring the witness that no man can give by your Holy Spirit? Would you witness in their spirits? Holy Spirit, come. Come. And let them know in the deepest part of their knower that they are the children of God and that you've heard this prayer, that you kept your promise, that if we would open, you would come in. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.